Welcome to the Twimmel AI Podcast. I'm your host, Sam Charrington. All right, everyone, I've got Sita Ganju on the line. Sita is a solution architect working on autonomous vehicles at NVIDIA. Uh, Sita, welcome back to This Week in Machine Learning and AI. Thank you, Sam. It's been a great year so far, and thank you for having me once again. Absolutely, absolutely. So for folks that want to go back to your original podcast uh, on the show, it was Twimble Talk number 95. At the time, you are you were at uh, Deep Vision, uh, but you've since moved over to NVIDIA. Yeah. What will you be working on at NVIDIA? So at NVIDIA, I'm focusing on a particular part of the entire self-driving stack, which is called simulation and re-simulation, which is the part that does the testing and the verification of the entire perception stack. So how do we know that the computer vision, the LIDAR, the radar networks that we have trained, how do we know that they actually work well in real life? Because real life testing for autonomous vehicles is very hard to do because you can't test out the millions and millions of possibilities on um, on actual roads with real test drivers inside the vehicles. Um, so simulation is a, a developer-friendly way to do that. And it's also, you, you know, you can squeeze millions and millions of miles. You can add tens and thousands of scenarios to simulate and test. So it's really a nice um, solution to testing. And so you're joining us to represent computer vision in our year in review and prediction series. So let's jump right in. So you took the the time to kind of prepare your thoughts on some recent uh, some papers this year that struck you mm-hmm. as particularly noteworthy in the computer vision space. Uh, where do you want to start? So um, before I start, I think I want to say that, you know, I'm only human and I'm probably missing tons of game changing papers <laughs> that came out this year. And, you know, through this discussion, we're probably just scratching the surface of this year's CV research. Now, that being said, I'm going to start with a couple of papers that are providing different solutions to problems rather than improving on existing tasks. So the very first paper that I really, really liked was called Learning Transferable Architectures for Scalable Image Recognition. And this is by Google Brain. Now, this is being projected as the future of deep learning and The main reason behind that is because it introduces something called Neural Architecture Search, or NAS. So, you know, Sam, you've been doing these podcasts, definitely more than 95 podcasts by now. And (laughs) um, I'm sure during your discussions, a lot of people have talked about how designing a network architecture is a big pain point. Mm -hmm. And especially for those people who are just entering the field. So neural architecture search is really the beacon of light for them. It's a network that searches for the best model structure instead of you manually designing the network architecture. Now, internally, the search for this ultimate model is based on a reward function that rewards the model for performing well on the data set it is being validated on 
And at the same time, it's using the same metrics to validate and test the ultimate network. So I really like this paper because it details that such architectures achieve better accuracy than manually designed models. And searching also allows the network itself, you know, a more brute force type coverage over the entire search space. Now, we can only imagine the huge benefits that a good NAS algorithm can give rather than hand designing a specific network for the millions and millions of specific applications that we might want to develop. So this is actually one of its biggest advantage that it is generalizable. So a well-designed NAS algorithm is supposed to be flexible enough to find a good network for any specific task. And within the paper, they've outlined both detection and classification. So on ImageNet, they reported a 1.2% improvement in top 1% accuracy. And this is compared to what I guess we can now call the best human-invented architecture. And the coolest thing is that this architecture has 9 billion fewer flops. Can you imagine the improvement in speed in real-life production systems that we can get from this? I mean, NAS is bringing a whole new definition of real-time. And on CIFAR 10, I think NASNet achieves a 2.4% error rate, which is the new state-of-the-art. And on the detection side of things, the features learned by NASNet from ImageNet classification combined with faster RCNN gives a new state-of-the-art, which has a 4% improvement on the previous uh, state-of-the-art um, paper. So NAS is something really exciting, and I, I expect a lot of um, people entering the field to really go and test it out because it gives them a huge advantage of not wasting you know, hours and hours trying to think of what is the ideal architecture for their specific application. Did the paper talk at all about the training time to achieve that kind of performance relative to the training time for a, a single uh, static architecture? So when we talk about a single static architecture, it's not it's not like we fix a single architecture and we uh, stick to it throughout the experimentation pipeline. As a deep learning engineer, I often you know, start with one architecture and go back and forth on every single aspect of that architecture to get to the final architecture that is put into production. So I think, you know, comparing the times between what NAS will do versus what a single architecture does isn't really an apples to apples comparison. Uh, and that's kind of what I was getting at. The training time to, to train a single ResNet or something like that on ImageNet, you know, while it's decreasing can still be, you know, significant for some types of problems. And so I'm, inv I'm imagining that kind of yeah. searching through solutions like that is going to be even more complex. But you're saying that the comparison isn't really, you know, against, you know, just training, but also the time that the you know, that a human would typically spend in coming up with the architecture. Absolutely. Yeah. So that was the learning transferable architectures paper. What else do you have for us? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So um, the next one is from NVIDIA and it's called training deep networks with synthetic data. 
bridging the reality gap by domain randomization. So through this paper, NVIDIA tries to solve an age-old problem, which is, can we pre-train with synthetic data for tasks that demand either expert knowledge or labels that were difficult to specify manually or images that were difficult to capture in large quantities with you know, a huge variety and many such unanswered questions. So NVIDIA built a plugin tool for Unreal Engine 4, UE4, that simulates images for training data and uses that to train convolutional neural networks. Now, the biggest plus point is that all the factors spanning the main object, distractors, viewpoints, all these factors that the training data depends on are randomized and automated, making it so much more easier and useful to develop a data set. So when we talk about the number, variety, texture of objects, the background, then for distractors, a huge variation in their number, types, colors, scales. For the camera, you can change the camera location, viewpoint, be it the virtual camera with respect to the scene, or the angle of the camera with respect to the scene, or the number and the location of point lights. And an interesting thing that they reported was that with additional fine-tuning and real data, this network yields better performance than using real data alone. So this result really opens up the possibility of using inexpensive synthetic data for training neural networks. I mean, imagine there are millions and millions of applications that don't have concentrated data collection efforts, or maybe, you know, collecting data is just too difficult for certain types of applications. So such an example of using synthetic data for training would would be a game changer in these cases. Now, I remember hearing about papers that showed that synthetic data you know, wasn't all that effective at training agents that can perform in, in the real world. Um, but results like this are, are changing that. Is that, um, you know, is, has 2018 been kind of a key year in our ability to incorporate train, incorporate synthetic, uh, data into training or is this paper building on, uh, successes that we've kind of seen in, in recent years? I think in 2018, we had a lot of um, papers coming out on simulation or simulating data or synthetic data mm-hmm. and different papers tried out different techniques to how to develop the data. How do you, for example, change the um, surface of or the material of an object? Um, how do you make sure it looks different from the background? So there are a lot of papers in this um, synthetic data field coming up and a lot of them achieve good results. And I was talking about this one because they've made it so much more easier and useful because they they have a plugin tool. You know, they've got so many options to change from, for example, the object, the background, the distractors, the viewpoints. It's, you know, if you can imagine a Photoshop kind of a, a generator mm-hmm. that, you know, that can spit out uh, image frames based on um, how you're coding it up. It's it's really similar to that. So what's next on your list? So 
this is a really fun but extremely amazing piece of research and it comes from University of Washington that makes for more commonplace AI applications. Okay. And it's called Soccer on Your Tabletop. So they've developed a system that takes as input a YouTube video of a soccer game. And the system outputs a dynamic 3D reconstruction of the game that can be viewed interactively on your tabletop with an augmented reality device. So you know how people right now watch matches on their mobile devices, tablets, laptops, television sets, and so on. Mm -hmm. Imagine watching it on your dining table, your work table, your kitchen counter, literally everywhere or anywhere for that matter. Um, So this system is really multimodal. They are combining different types of information, for example, bounding boxes, poses, trajectories, all extracted from the player to segment them. And these 3D segments are projected onto any plane, which becomes the virtual soccer field. And they've released an example video of this and um, on YouTube. Um, and it's really cool. And I encourage all of you to check it out. It's called Soccer on Your Tabletop. Oh, that sounds incredible. I'm, I'm, I'm yeah. amazed that I haven't come across that video. Yeah, you should definitely check it out now. So the next one, um, let's talk a little bit about vision and language coupled together. So before we talk about the papers, I think it's worth mentioning um, the second edition of the VQA Challenge dataset, VQA 2.0, which actually was released in 2017, but it's worth talking about it because it was uh, a much more balanced dataset and it reduces the language biases over VQA 1.0. And it's double the size of VQA 1.0. So the very first paper in VQA is learning to count objects in natural images for visual question answering. This is by Yan Zhang and others. So this paper focuses on developing a counting solution for VQA. And they use mostly attention for that. They've proposed a differentiable counting component which explicitly counts the number of objects based on a hand-designed architecture using a graph of object proposals and non-maximum suppression. So it's basically just applying non-maximum suppression on object proposals and counting the number of objects that are within the image. What is non-maximum suppression? So it's an algorithm uh, for mostly used for detection. So this method improves the baseline by about 6.6% on the counting questions. And I don't remember the statistics in VQA 2.0 dataset, but in the um, VQA 1.0 dataset, counting was a very big problem and it was extremely biased because most questions, for most counting questions, the answers was usually two. So boosting a baseline by 5% is huge. So I really like this paper for that. And so with this paper, <clears throat> is the idea that this uh, this model that they've developed for counting would be used as kind of like a, a sub-model for an, a broader VQA system? Yes. So I was actually coming on to that. The next paper, which is Bilinear Attention Networks for Visual Question Answering, they have integrated the counting module that we just talked about from Zhang. And 
Along with that, they've introduced other techniques to improve um, their um, VQA accuracy. And this paper is called Bilinear Attention Networks for Visual Question Answering. It's by Jinhua Kim from Seoul National University. They are using the counting module. They are also using bilinear attention, which is the interaction between the word and the visual concepts. They also have a low rank bilinear pooling and they have residual learning with attention mechanism for incremental inference. That sounds a lot. (laughs) (laughs) And I think, I'm not sure, but I think this was among the top VQA 2.0 winners. And then one uh, paper that is, or one model that is right for the right reasons is women also snowboard, overcoming bias in captioning models. So they've introduced a new equalizer model that encourages equal gender probability when gender evidence is occluded in a scene and confident predictions when gender evidence is present. So they're basically forcing the resulting model to look at the person rather than use contextual cues to make a gender-specific prediction. Mm -hmm. And they've also introduced two kinds of losses, which is the appearance confusion loss and the confident loss. Both of them are generalizable, and they can be added to any description model in order to mitigate the impacts of any unwanted bias in the description dataset. And when we talk about their results, this research achieves two things. They get a lower error than existing work when describing images with people that mentions the gender and it much more closely matches the ground truth ratio of sentences that include women to sentences including men. And the second achievement is when we visualize the results, we see that the model is actually looking at the people when predicting their gender which is really important because a lot of um, visualization results, you know, they focus on, they don't necessarily focus on the people when they are predicting the gender. So this was a really interesting find by this paper, um, Women Also Snowboard, Overcoming Bias and Captioning Models. Oh, that one sounds really interesting. The next one is Weekly Supervised Photo Enhancer for Digital Cameras. So I I think, Sam, you enjoy photography, right? I do enjoy photography, especially especially digital photography. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so this one I hope you find interesting because they've trained a generative adversarial network to improve the aesthetic quality of standard or normal-looking photos. So let's say I take really bad photos and I put it in this generative adversarial networks and it comes out looking completely professional looking, you know, applying the rule of thirds, improving lightning, having enhancements that you get from image editing softwares. And there are two cool parts about this. The first one is that they're using GANs. So you don't need a pair of good looking and bad looking images. You only need a set of good looking images and a set of bad looking images. Mm -hmm. And The second part is that because it's weakly supervised, the pair of input and visually enhanced images isn't necessary. So there are these two really cool things about this 
paper on GANs. And if you look at the results, they are, you know, GANs have become so photorealistic that it's just, you know, it's crazy to imagine that GANs were once spitting out that was, you know, not as aesthetically pleasing. But now when you look at these images, it's just amazing. Yeah, the the original images that you see with GANs are like these kind of grotesque approximations. And now the the celebrity work that uh, NVIDIA did, I think that was earlier this year or maybe mm-hmm. late yeah. last year. Um, and uh, there's one that's been going around even more recently, the photorealistic um, images. I mean, it's, it, it is getting quite incredible what they're able to do. Absolutely. So another paper that I really like is called, no, this is a really long name, so bear with me. So it's called Efficient Interactive Annotation of Segmentation Datasets with Polygon RNN. So this is an interactive annotation tool. Now, if you think about labeling of datasets and we talk about segmentation data, we know that class labeling needs labeling of each and every pixel in the image. Now, this is quite literally forever if you're talking about millions and millions of images. We know that deep neural networks work well when they can feast on a large and fully annotated dataset. So this paper is really the economical bridge between these two worlds, because with Polygon RNN, you can set rough polygon points around each object in the image that you want to annotate. And then the network will automatically generate the segmentation annotation. And a big advantage is that a method generalizes well, so it can be used to create quick and easy annotations for segmentation tasks. So is the idea here that Typically, for image segmentation, we want this to be on a pixel-by-pixel basis so that we can kind of train a network very accurately. But what this is doing is allowing someone who's doing segmentation to just do it on a polygon basis, and then the network will map that to, we'll we'll kind of find more the more accurate pixel-based segmentation? Yes, that is the idea. But it makes the process of annotations much faster. Right. Because you don't have to go pixel by pixel, right? You only have to give a rough polygon and then the system will adapt the polygon to the actual, um, um, the edges of the object. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And do you have a sense for this? How close do you need to get? Do you still need to get within a few pixels? Is it meant to be kind of a fine-tuning mechanism, or can you kind of very roughly put a polygon around, say, a person in a, a picture of a, a street scene? Um, you can make it pretty rough. I mean, in their examples, they've shown aerial imagery, and those examples are pretty neat. Huh, interesting. Cool. Yeah. I've got one more that I really... Actually, two more that I really like. Okay. Okay. So this one is super slow-mo high-quality estimation of multiple intermediate frames for video interpolation. And this comes from University of Massachusetts at Amherst. So you're given two consecutive frames, and they apply a method of video interpolation that aims at generating 
intermediate frames that are both spatially and temporally coherent um, sequences. So internally, it's utilizing optical flow and convolutional neural networks between frames to interpolate video frames input at 30 frames per second. And it produces crisp looking results at 240 frames per second. And they've shown uh, examples of like a bullet going through an egg. And, you know, to a human eye, you you don't really notice much. But when you look at it in super slow-mo, it's it's really breathtaking. I mean, you can you can see how the um, how the cracks on the eggshell propagate, and that's really hmm. cool. Oh wow! Yeah, wow. And they're doing this from optical flow and CNNs. Right, right. Are they training yeah. against slow mo data, or is this interpolation happening without specific training in that way? It's got training. Okay. So it, yeah. it the network kind of learns what, what the effect of slow mo is from slow mo training data, and then can apply that effect mm-hmm. to non slow mo uh, yes. video. Yeah. Okay. Very interesting. I mean, between this and the the GAN based photo enhancer, mm-hmm. you can start to see how some of these techniques can uh, work their way yeah. into our into everyday devices. Absolutely, and. That's actually a really good point because handheld devices now have GPUs in them. You know, they have separate accelerators um, that accelerate CNNs. So, you know, I guess even the mobile industry is expecting developers to use these techniques because they're putting these uh, these uh, heavy GPUs inside these devices. Mm-hmm. And this all started, I think, in 2015 so if you go around benchmarking all these devices, you notice that in 2015, there is a sudden jump in um, hardware um, acceleration. And that is when these GPUs were introduced into mobile phones. Okay. So I'm really excited for all the new applications that are about to come. Yeah, same here. Yeah. So you have one um, more paper. Yes. Um, Now, this is called Who Let the Dogs Out? Modeling Dog Behavior from Visual Data. And this comes (laughs) again from University of Washington. Okay. So I remember when this paper came out, I found it through a YouTube recommendation. And a dog was walking around with all these sensors, a GoPro and Arduino attached and a number of sensors on the dog's limbs. And... um, they'd linked an archive paper with it. And I was really fascinated by what is this dog doing on archive paper? (laughs) (laughs) And then I read it and it's very interesting because when we talk about visually intelligent agents, we tend to break that into smaller, more approachable sub-problems like classification, detection, and planning. But this paper conquers it as a one big problem. So it takes input images and it produces planning actions. And again, the data collection is from a dog using a GoPro, Arduino, and a number of sensors on the dog's limbs. So they've got feature extractors from CNNs, which they use to get image features from the video frames, of course. And then all of this is passed to a set of LSTMs along with the sensor data and the system learns and predicts the dog's actions. And in the paper, they've exemplified three particular tasks. One is 
acting like a dog. So you have a previously seen sequence of images and you want to predict what will be the future movement of the dog. The second task is planning like a dog, where you have a sequence of a source and a destination locations. And the goal is to find a sequence of actions that take the dog from the initial, the source location and the destination location. And the third and the final task is learning from a dog. So can we learn learned representations for a third task? For example, if I'm a dog, can I try to understand if the surface in front of me is walkable? So stuff like that. And I I think this paper is really interesting because it's like an end-to-end solution, not, mm-hmm. um, you know, it's not breaking up um, different tasks like planning, detection, or classification. It's really treating it as one big intelligent agent. And I really, I haven't seen uh, those examples in a really long time. So I think um, that's why this paper stands out so much. I'm thinking of applications of this kind of paper. And the thing that jumps out at me is, you know, when you think about these Boston Dynamics robots, Mm -hmm. how they might, uh, this kind of training might, you know, help them get to something that's more intelligent. So the Boston Dynamics robots are really, you know, they've got four limbs and like a upper body part and then a sensor network of cameras and so on. Um, But when I think about this paper, I think that it's not only applicable to like the Boston Dynamic robots, but generally all um, robots because planning, action, learning, you know, coupling with understanding of the outside world, all these are, you know, very essential parts of the visually intelligent agent. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, it's not it's not just a single um, robot that can benefit from it. I mean, you know, this system could be easily applicable in um, in phones, for example, you know, for helping blind people or um, for the deaf community in certain cases. So it's it's really exciting to see how end to end applications are developing and coming into real life. Definitely some interesting papers from uh from 2018 and you know particularly Mm -hmm. with your caveat this is just the few that came to mind as (laughs) uh particularly meaningful contributions and you know related to the the kind of scope of of uh the elements of the field that are of most interest to you yeah and i think i've already said this i don't know how many times but (laughs) the speed of publications is just immense And the good thing is that it's all quality work that's coming out. So keeping up with all of this is so much more challenging than it used to be before. All right, Siddha, well, thanks so much for once again kind of spending uh, the time to kind of go through this stuff with us. Thank you. All right, everyone, that's our show for today. To learn more about today's guest or the topics mentioned in this interview, visit TwimmelAI.com. Of course, if you like what you hear on the podcast, please subscribe, rate, and review the show on your favorite podcatcher. Thanks so much for listening and catch you next time.